G'day, Internet, and welcome to episode 101 of This Week in Retro. High-resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Immortalised by an Amiga. The stages of collecting. And beauty is the eye of the beer holder. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Good arvo, people. Arvo. Fair dinkum. Oh, Oh. (laughs) (laughs) It's right. We have another Australian with us. A real Australian again, Dave. What do you reckon? Um, He's an improvement on you. I think we should keep him. Well, I'm not. I'm not an Australian. <laughs> I kept trying to the, tell you guys, the fake Australian. <laughs> yeah, the fake Australian. But yeah, so Neil's not with us this week. He's uh, taking a break. Very busy with other things. Um, and we'd already yeah. planned on having Jason with us um, from Mister Lurch's Things. Jason, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and why you're in the hobby and, and your channel and whatever else you want to hit us with? Um, I will start off with the fact that Neil and I have actually known each other for quite a long time, and I finally made it on this podcast, and he's not here. (laughs) But um, sorry. Yeah. uh, Well, speaking of, because I kind of really got into this hobby from watching RMC, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I guess there's a nod from from Chris there. Um, And because... Well, because Neil's Neil and he's so approachable, mm. we just kind of started talking and I started kind of poking around at maybe doing some videos and it just kind of snowballed from there. I mean, I've been on his channel. He's helped me out with random things on mine because this is Neil we're talking about. Um, yeah, and like I said, it's just kind of snowballed and it's and it's snowballed badly. Um which I'll actually get to uh, later on in the podcast. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, uh, and I've just – it's introduced me to, like, well, computers and machines and consoles and games and everything like that kind of stuff that I never would have even contemplated looking at. Um, But also meeting people as well. Okay, not physically actually meeting them, but – you know, and so I've gotten to know really quite well, you know, Neil and Reese and um, Mark uh, and Adrian Black and all these kind of people. They're just the nicest people in the world. And so I just kind of ended up f- falling into this amazing community over the last five, six years or wherever long it's been. And, yeah, that's um, that's where I'm at at the moment. The channel, the channel's doing all right. Um, I'm just shy of... What eight and a half thousand subscribers? Oh, nice! I, I did have a little. So the the channel actually turns five on uh, February nineteenth or something like that, and I had a little dream of hitting ten thousand subs. So um, link in the description if you like the video, click like, subscribe. <laughs> um, so yeah, but the channel's doing well, and I'm still having fun. Fantastic. Go on, Dave. I. Uh- I've I've watched lots of your channel. I quite enjoy watching it. Mm. Um, Mr. Lutry's channel is a general retro channel, so it, it's very much the same things that we're interested in micros and so on. It's not not it's not your kind of like later Super Nintendo and Mega Drive type stuff. It's it's the micros and so on. Yeah. Good content. I quite like it, but I'm predisposed because I like you, so it's easy to to like <laughs> oh, the content. It's true. It's uh, true. But get, yeah, Thank have a look. You. See if you like it. 
Um, welcome, welcome to this weekend retro. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. I, I think you, you probably have you got the world's biggest uh, retro brushing chamber. Can we can we call it that? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, it's yeah. actually, maybe just the world's it's most expensive. Nickname, the most expensive. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's a. Uh, I, I call it now the oven. Oh. Because it actually, well, mm. it, it'll hold about 35, 40 degrees inside that box, um, which is perfect for retro writing. Mm. Um, so just over the last couple of days, I finally got round to doing my 520 ST. So it's all looking mm. pristine. Um, well, that's an important test because these people aren't aware that the, the, the plastic in the ST has got a grey uh, die to it. And if you retrobite that badly, it marbles. So I've seen yep. lots of people who have done it with cream and it comes out looking terrible and you have to paint it. I actually did the cream on my old 1040 and touch wood, it actually worked. And it was actually after mm. that that I did it and everyone turned around and went, oh, you're lucky. Um, but one thing I have heard is even regardless of the marbling is that the, there's something about the ST case plastic that's just an absolute pain to retro bright um the 520 took three four times longer than the last thing that i did which was uh, an amiga 1000 wow i don't know mm. what it is about that plastic but i got there in the end um but one thing i did discover is because if you saw the video it was all set up for vapor brighting so that new kind of technique for retro brighting yeah. mm. but yeah. i actually discovered that that whole setup doubles quite well for submersion as well. It's actually oh, okay. got enough heat. that, um, And I actually ended up doing the 520STE using the submersion method. Right. Mm. So, so the, yeah. the submersion method is where you, you, you douse it completely in peroxide liquid. Yep. The vapour one is where there's enough heat that the peroxide turns to, uh, turns to vapour yeah, uh, in the chamber, and then the the the, the cream mess that we talk about is where you will coat something in cream and then cover it up in cling film or glad yep. wrap, I think mm. you call it in America. Yep. Uh, and by doing that, it means that um, it's in contact with it. But that's where certain parts will dry out and certain parts will get yep. more peroxide than others if you're not careful, if you're not uh, methodical in industries and yep. taking it apart and spreading it and putting it again. So yeah, yeah. And there's pros and cons to all all the methods. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Have you now? Obviously, the listeners won't be able to see this behind you. Uh, you've got shelves and shelves of what are mostly Star Wars figures. Um, so that's a whole uh, other a collection. Bit of everything there, actually. About. Yeah, go for it. Just talk us through what you got there. Okay, um, this is what I call the this is the wall of toy, um, and so it um, it's got a bit of everything in there. So I've got uh, I'm looking down, so because I'm seeing looking behind me. Uh, so this is all Star Wars Blacks, the modern six-inch Black series, uh, and we've got some G1, so original Generation 1 Transformers and some Masterpiece and some bigger stuff up here. Uh, then down here we've got a little bit of Marvel, some He-Man, uh, a couple of shells of Ninja Turtles, and then these two shells up here are actually kind of... Um, these are the like 1960s, 70s Action Man. Um, so Palatoy Action Man from the UK. Fantastic. I, I, I dare to go down the rabbit hole of, of toy collecting oh, as no. well because oh, it just won't no, end. No, no, no. It won't no, end. No. Again, we'll get to my we'll, we'll get to my topic of discussion a little later on. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yes, it is quite the rabbit hole and quite 
the expensive rabbit hole. Awesome. Um, <laughs> what you're seeing behind me is probably only half of the toys that are in this room. Wow. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. I wish I could get away with it. Cool. So that, that's Jason and uh, yeah, Mr. Lurch's things. If you're not subscribed or you haven't checked out his channel, do do so. Dave, any any housekeeping this week? Well, we'll get to housekeeping, sure, sure, sure enough, but we'll, yeah. we need to talk about me first. Oh, yeah, fair um, enough, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually wanted to explain why Neil's not here to the, the listeners. I know everyone likes Neil being here, but Neil's just been opening up the, the arcade. The arcade archive uh, was just a couple of days ago, a patron day yesterday. Um, he has he is so busy at the moment. He's so stressed out and uh, under pressure. Right as we speak, he's filming. Uh, he's refilming footage that was accidentally deleted because his workflow was put out. He made a mistake and deleted it. Uh, he stayed late on Friday to do it, so he's, he's having a terrible old time. So, Neil, when you're listening to that, and you'll be listening to this uh, on, I imagine, Saturday or Sunday or Monday, um, I hope by now it's all sorted out and you're you're um, you're not um, you're not still stressed out. So unfortunately, Neil won't be here this week, but he will be here next week. As for me, I've had a weird thing, and let's 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 start it by talking about a comment that was left on YouTube about me last week, asking if I like tea in my milk. I like tea. <laughs> I really like tea, and I'm always running behind just before we start so i always make a cup of tea but it never gets long enough to properly brew <laughs> and get nice and strong so it always looks a little bit weaker than what i'd like and last week was no last week was no exception last week i was running even later because my computer had these mysterious problems things weren't quite right with it um and i couldn't work out what it was and um on on monday later in the day um my computer keyboard just stopped working and i put everything together and worked out the keyboard which i mentioned a couple of episodes ago is a das keyboard 4 lovely keyboard i'm delighted with it uh, i was delighted with it but there's a, a flat cable inside it and the flat cable is plastic with um copper painted on it and as i've stripped it down and cleaned it and put it back together the copper stripped off and it looks as if when I've put when I soldered bodge wires on, I've done something wrong, or maybe it's unrelated to that. Maybe it's maybe it's just through the the signal, whatever. The USB circuit has died, but that was causing all sorts of problems on my computer, which I didn't think could happen, including the microphone buzzing, which was connected into it as a USB hub. But now I've got a replacement keyboard. All I need to do is swap over the keycaps, and I'll be fine. So that's been my week, puzzling my head at that. Uh, and also playing Eye of the Beholder. I've been playing that a lot this week uh, for reasons that will come become apparent later in the show. Um, as to housekeeping, I wanted to take a chance this week um, to explain to people who perhaps don't know and also to remind people who have been here for a while how this show works. Um, the three of us will go to the subreddit. Uh, Neil, Chris and myself will go to the subreddit uh, on Reddit uh, so it's reddit uh, slash r slash this week in retro and we'll look at what stories have been submitted over the past week or so we'll take into account how popular the stories are although it's not absolute and we'll pick one to talk about and we'll be looking for something to start a conversation about is to talk about how we feel about it so we're not just looking to report on a bit of news because that can be a bit flat we need to be able to discuss it so there's three things that you can do if you want to interact with this show. 
You can submit articles to the subreddit. So if there's something you think is particularly interesting, wherever you found it on the internet, wherever you found it, go and submit it to the subreddit. Um, don't worry if you're not sure if you should or shouldn't. Go ahead and do it. It won't do any harm. The second thing you can do is you can vote on the articles. We want you to go and click on the up and down arrows to indicate what you'd like us to talk about, or perhaps if you've seen something too much or you think it's, it's really something you don't want to hear, you can click on the down arrow as well. And by doing that, if people do that, enough people do that, we'll get an idea of what people really want to hear. And if something has lots and lots of upvotes, then we, we, we will usually want to talk about it. And the last thing that you can do on the subreddit is each week, and it's at the end of the uh, the show, we have a community question of the week, and you can um, you can go in there and you can you can um, submit your response to that. We'll ask you a question. Last week we asked, "What would you rescue from Room One Hundred One?" Uh, and you can go and submit that, and then. When it comes to the show, a few days after it's been broadcast, we'll go and we'll see what's been there and we'll read out the top three answers from there. So on top of that, um, you can still use a subreddit just to get an idea of what's happening this week in retro, just to get an idea of what other people are submitting. Uh, even if we don't talk about it, the article's still there and the links are still there. So so please do feel free to, to use the subreddit or not to use a subreddit because you don't need to. You can just listen to the podcast and ignore it. Now, we are sponsored this week by Pixel Addict Magazine. Uh, Pixel Addict Magazine is a monthly magazine, kind of like what you're used to back in the day, but it's not just about one, one particular computer. Uh, it's not just about games. It's all about digital culture in general. Um, I like it. It's a great read. Um, you can get it a news agent in uh, the US, Canada, um, Australia, and the UK. Um, it seems to be going strength to strength. It's a great read. And I've been reading SU6, and I've enjoyed a great introduction to Open XCOM. Now, XCOM UFO Defense is something I played hundreds of hours in, but Open XCOM is a modern kind of remake of it, uh, and I haven't used it. So I read an article on that, and I think it's how I'll play X XCOM going forward. There's also an article on a visit to NERG, which is the North East Retro Gaming, which is northeast of England, and Wigan Comic Con, and a review of the 2005 Doom movie, um, an article discussing the difficulty of first-gen arcade games, and loads more. You can subscribe, or you can buy individual articles as a PDF magazine, and there'll be links in the show notes regarding it, how to get to the website, where you can buy issues, subscribe, and get back issues, or just pop down to the shops. So thank you very much for your support, Pixel Addict. Awesome. Right, should we get on with the show? Yes, yeah. let's. Let's do it. When I was at the uh, Perth Amiga Users Group uh, just a couple of weeks back, one of the highlights for me was seeing someone from the next generation just sitting there enjoying... Star Trek. Drawing. With no, data. no, not Star Trek. They were just sitting there enjoying drawing in deluxe paint on a big box Amiga. Um, I guess, you know, the, the person doing it, was, she was probably in her early to mid-teens, and she literally just sat there for most of the evening making really impressive pixel art. I'm sure most of us had a mess around in paint programs back in the day. I made some terrible images, uh, one of which I recreated not long ago, actually. It's actually on the screen behind me. It's just a poorly drawn, um, made-up concept stealth fighter. 
um, that I actually did for a magazine competition back in the day, and then I redid it when I got back into Amiga because the image was still in my head. Um, and then when I jumped to PC, obviously all I had access to was MS Paint, but I did what I thought was a not-too-bad picture of the Predator, actually, just the head that I copied from a comic book um, uh, uh, from the, I think it was from the Alien vs. Predator yeah, comics. Um, and if of all the images I ever drew, I'd love to find that one again if I if I possibly could. But um, there's a real tearjerker of a story here, and it's about just this kind of thing. It was submitted by both Pajaco6502 and also Weeping Scorpion1982. Now, they linked us to a story on the derbytelegraph.co.uk by Joseph Connolly about some lost teenage art found on an Amiga 500 by the team at the Derby Computer Museum. So the museum have basically been given a donation of an Amiga and the surrounding collection by family of Richard McFarlane, an Amiga enthusiast and pixel artist from back in the day who sadly passed away at just 17 in 1991. The family had actually tried to give the collection to computer shops and they'd actually been told, excuse me, giggling slightly at this, that they were not worth anything. They were talking about the Amigas aren't actually worth anything. They weren't talking about yeah. monetary value because they are worth something there, but yeah, Amigas yeah. in general. Oh, stop nah. it, Dave. Stop it, Dave. <laughs> yeah. I should point out, though, that, that when they were t- trying to take it to a computer store, that was like, what, 15, 20 years ago or whatever, and hand on heart, they uh, weren't worth anything. Yeah, that's yeah, fair yeah, enough. That's, that's right. fair enough. Yeah, yeah fair yeah, enough, yeah. fair enough. But, but this actually worked out well because, I mean, they, they sat in the loft and, and this resulted in the family donating the collection to the museum where Rob Watson, the curator, not only restored and displayed the collection in a dedicated area, complete with some of Richard's game posters from back in the day, but they actually took time to recover, restore, and even print off and frame some of Richard's teenage artwork and give it back to the family. Uh, you can actually see the gallery on the Derby Telegraph website, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, but Dave, I'll jump to you first. And, and I think there's really uh, so much to discuss here about the feel of teenage pixel art and, and the period, um, but also about the importance of digital preservation. What are your thoughts? Well, the first thing I noticed was dinosaurs. Yes. So I'm already a fan. Uh, I, I noticed the dinosaurs right away. Now, I never drew any art at all. I had a quick look to see what the tools did. So I would launched the art programs and when I got um, when I got ST format and there was some kind of program on it to do art, I would have a go to see what it did. But I never had any I've never had any inclination to create or draw at any point in my life. Even with music, it's the same. I love listening to music. I love looking at artwork. Um, you'll see me mention it week in, week out on on, on this weekend retro, particularly box art. I've never had any interest in making it. I actually prefer not to see it being made. I don't like seeing behind the curtain. But I'm quite interested in this because I think that computers, home computers, um, initially with 8-bits and then when the ST and Amiga came out, um, the ST had some fantastic tools. The Amiga had even better tools uh, for creating art at home. I think it enabled people who wouldn't have otherwise have done it uh, to make art. So for all we know, Richard may not have done this if he didn't have the Amiga. So I think that this... Um, I don't want to use the word shrine. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. But this this exhibit they have in the at the museum is um it is great because it's not just about Richard's art, it's about the whole 
the whole idea of of teenagers in the, the late 80s and 90s being able to create something this way that was enabled by home computers that wasn't there before. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, one of the, one of the weird this what this reminds me of is when I got the Batman pack that's on the shelf behind me, um, which is obviously a repurchase. It's not my original. It came with everything, literally everything, all the documents, all the pamphlets, and it came with all the original discs. You know, the workbench, uh, workbench extras, and deluxe paint too, which is what came with the Batman pack. But it also had just an unmarked, completely blank disc, and that reminded me of something I'd forgotten. You, you did get a blank disc in the pack and the whole idea was that you would use that to make your backup of workbench which is the version you're meant to use and so of course curiosity got the better of me i thought well, what's actually on this disc i just assumed it might still be blank because it was a very well kept and hardly used um pack so i put it in and they'd used it to actually make a, a backup copy of deluxe paint rather than workbench so of course i went digging and yes, the original sample images were there, but there were some of the previous owners' artwork. It would seem they'd hardly used this thing, hardly played FA-18 Interceptor or Batman. No, no, nothing dodgy. Nothing dodgy, Jason. <laughs> He's doing air quotes on camera. Um, but, uh, but it was just really interesting to just delve into somebody else and, and basically discover this artwork that would have been sitting in a loft uh, similar to this for like 30 years. Just one or two pictures, but yeah, it was really cool. So going back to this main story, I mean, Rob actually put on a private tour of the museum for the family before it was even open to the public, and they were blown away by the dedicated area for Richard's machines and posters. Um, and I believe before printing them, they upscaled some of the images, so that was done by Jim or Paint It, who works in MS Paint. So I'm not sure the process that was used, um, but that's what I understand from what I've read. And, I mean, obviously there's a lot of work goes into delving into somebody's old discs and restoring them, pulling the data off. Uh, some articles have said, you know, these were sitting on the A500, whereas I'm not sure if they're sitting on the, on the machine itself or on discs that were accompanying the machine. I don't know. I haven't really got to the back, background of that. But what it does remind me is like, uh, often when you pick up a bulk lot, you know, you want a machine, but it comes with this big box of, you know, dirty, crusty, floppy discs what do you do with them? I've got a box sitting behind me. I've got about 200 discs, and I purposely haven't touched them much because they are so crusty. But what's on them? Now, in my view, all I want is the blank discs. That's where the value is, whereas I know some other people um, uh, in the hobby will literally want to get hold of those discs so that they can back up and and uh, store um, that data. Dave? It reminds me of I, I got a disc in i i buy i have bought in the past i don't recommend it now actually but i have bought bulk um amiga and st discs on ebay mm. i don't recommend it because typically they've been in a garage and they've not been looked after they may as well just chuck yeah. them in yeah. one of them had the one of them was warhammer 40 40k and someone had painstakingly cut out from a comic they cut out little logos and images to make the disc label and it looked fantastic unfortunately the disc was absolutely wrecked and it couldn't be read but there you go yeah well yeah. so that actually brings up another risk i suppose like you guys know as well as i do that the actual disc drives these days are starting to drop like flies mm. as it is yeah. let alone take some moldy rubbish old disc and go hey let's let's see what's on this and not only do you end up with a trash disc but you also then end up with a trash disk drive yes. as well. 100%. So it's yeah. it's a bit of a gamble, really. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, on that, what I do is um, I, I will feel how a disk turns in my hand. So I'll use one of those disk mm. cleaning caddies 
and I'll feel it. I'll have a look at the surface of the disc. That Not that that often tells you everything. But if I can feel any resistance or crustiness, I'm really hesitant to yeah. put it, especially in my Amiga 500 because it is such a pristine example and the drive is fine. If I'm tempted to try and use that disc, what I'll actually do is put it in one of my old PCs because I don't care about the drives in those and they're easier to replace. So I'll, I know I can't read an Amiga disc on a PC properly, but I can at least hear how it spins up to then make a further judgment as to whether or not it's going to go into the Amiga. Dave? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Um, when I bought discs, one of the things I'm looking for is I'm looking for circles on the disc. Mm. If you see a circle on the disc, it's been caused by a bit of grit and it's it's scored, scratched on the disc. And I really don't want to put that in the in in, in the drive. You Not want to put sure. that in the bin. No, and that's of course you want to for mold. Yeah. Um, but I use um, a DOS PC with two three and a half inch drives. I use a bit of software called Format QM. Mm. They're very clever in that you can use Format QM without touching the keyboard. Once you've got it set up and you just swap the discs over, it can tell when you swap the discs over. So you can have a big pile of discs. It will try and format and verify them and confirm whether the disc is working. So if you've got a big pile of discs and you don't care what's on them, you just want to see which one of these discs is um, still suitable to be reused and which aren't, you can go through that. Unfortunately, I found out with three and a half inch discs, they're all fit for the bin. Um, yeah, that's why I, a few episodes ago I recommended that you get them from floppydisc.com because at least that way they're not too expensive. They're not actually a great deal more expensive than getting them on eBay, but they're not junk. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was just thinking that, look, the computer that you've set up to just, like, chew discs yeah. through. <laughs> if you could have it, like, but with one of the, the motorized Mac disk drives, but then control the motor speed... So you could get it to shoot the dead ones out. <laughs> you could put you could put two bins in front of it yeah. and have it fire them out really fast if it's junk, so it goes yep. into the bad bin and fire it out slowly if it goes into the, the the good bin. You could then just periodically chuck a couple of discs in and then just just do that and get through them all. There's a yeah. project in That'd the making, brilliant. isn't there? Yeah, there we go. I'm sure you can do it with like an Arduino. Yeah. Jason, what do you but, reckon? I mean, both not just on the um, uh, preservation, but did you tinker about with pixel art or anything like that? And also, do you try and restore data off of old disks? Um, there's a couple of things about this story that I actually I, I really like. Um, one is the fact that the museum went to so much effort after, because that's not, I think you even said yourself, that's not a small amount of work, let alone then the restoration and the upscaling and then the printing and the framing and all that kind of stuff. I just thought that was just a beautiful story, like yeah. nerdy as hell, but a beautiful story. But honestly, when I get those kinds of discs, I'm really torn, not only for the the possibility of like, is this going to trash my disc drive, but there's a certain degree of privacy. I don't want to kind of yeah. step like there's a line I'm not that never too sure of stepping over so as a general rule no I don't I don't go chewing through those kind of discs yeah they end up in the spares pile yeah fair enough um with respect uh, you know the images that Richard drew we haven't really talked much about those so do have a look at the articles that we'll link in the show notes and have a good look through for yourself um 
And we do have permission for those of you watching on YouTube to display some of them uh, during this episode as well. So I'm sure Duncan is onto that. Um, but it really reminds me of the sort of things I was into back then as well, because as Dave mentioned, he's drawn dinosaurs, but he's also drawn spitfires and spaceships and stuff about the Gulf War. And these are exactly the kind of things I'd have had a try at drawing in D-Paint back then as well. So for me, this isn't. It's not just about the images uh, that happen to be drawn on a on an Amiga. This is full of the feel of the time period. Um, it's a real, uh, including you know, reference to global events, and that to me really gives it um, a tangible context for the family. You know, this isn't an emotional restoration. Um, Jason, yeah, I was just going to say that. I think we get really caught up in the games, mm. right? Mm. And we kind of, we think of the chronological order of stuff on the games and the quality of games and all the rest of it. And we do tend to forget all the other stuff that was kind of, I mean, yeah, look, a word processor is a mm. word processor, is a spreadsheet, whatever. But those more creative things that started coming in, especially in the 16-bit era of deluxe paint, um, what is it called, Cubase, the... Mm. Is it Cubase, the music yeah. Yeah. thing on the SD, stuff yeah. like that. And there's some real kind of um, creative stuff yeah. that happened there. Um, what's what's the um, lady's name that still does all that on the Amiga 600? Sorry, it's completely Vicky. mind blank. Sorry? Oh, yeah. Vicky, Vicky. Pixel, Pixel Vixen. Pixel. Pixel Vixen, yeah. yeah. And you see yeah. the stuff that she's doing, and I just mm. go, that's cool. I mean, I don't have the patience, I don't have the creativity, yeah. but I really appreciate what, like, the work that she's still doing. Yeah, yeah. And there's the um, Amiga Art Contest every year, isn't it, that um, Doug uh, hosts. Uh, she used to be involved. 10-Minute in Amiga Retrocast. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That really is amazing. Oh, the, people, yeah. pe uh, the stuff people are churning out is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's really great. And to hear their process as well, and he's got the 3D stuff going on, Lightwave uh, stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Um, yeah, so, yeah, this is, you know, for the family, this is an emotional restoration of part of a lost loved one. But for the rest of us, I think it really is a time capsule. It's a really, uh, it's, it really is a reminder um, of the importance of digital preservation as well. Yeah, really cool. What I mentioned actually in the little, in the intro was something that I wanted to talk to these guys about but also in general and that is kind of it's the stages of collecting now i know what i was like when i first started getting into this both this hobby and this hobby as well was that when you first start off you go you kind of start off by going you know rah i've got to buy everything right <laughs> so true <laughs> yeah yep. and i've like you know i've ended up with like a pile of like eight classic Macs that I've got no idea what the hell I'm going to do with them. I mean, no one needs that many classic Macs um, because at the end of the look, and this is going to get the comment section going, but with those Macs, I love fixing them. I love the look of them. I love the design about them. They're boring as hell to actually. Not, sorry, I just there's get the, bored with them really quick. 
but I'm not. Yeah. I'm I'm not a massive fan of Macs, but there are some games that are unique to the Mac you don't get elsewhere. So mm. at least for that, for most systems, you can take the whole big library of games and you can run a line through and find yeah. out that almost every game is available somewhere else. Mm. But the Mac, while it doesn't have that many games, it probably has a lot more exclusives. At least. Yeah, but I don't need eight of them. To play those <laughs> games. Seven would be fine. Seven. Seven, seven would seven. be fine, but eight's fine. Yeah. Right, so they've all been culled down, right? So I've kept a Mac Plus, I've got an SE, uh, SE30, and I've got a Color Classic that'll get a Mystic mod at some point. But I kind of ended up in this position where, well, not only was I running out of space, every collector's biggest nightmare, um, but I started looking around at my collection and there was stuff that I'd bought and I guess this also comes from the YouTube side of it as well, where I've bought it, I've done a video on it, I've done some upgrades, I've cleaned it up, whatever, and it's sat on a shelf. And that's it, right? It hasn't been touched since I did that video. And especially over, say, the last six months, um, I've actually started to, believe it or not, sell some things off um, because they've just, sat there and there's no point them sitting collecting dust on my shelf when there's someone else out there who yeah. will enjoy it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, you get what I mean? 100%, yeah. yeah. You Definitely. Know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you see those pictures on like Facebook of like, look at my collection of 36 Commodore 64s and like yeah. two dozen 1541s. I mean, I remember when I was actually just looking for a 1541 and I'd see those photos and I'd just go, you Yes. You know what I mean? It's like how many people out there are looking for to just, they just want one. I thought it was just me. And this guy, (laughs) yeah, no. And, you know, there's some dude like on Facebook kind of going, look at my dozens of 1541s. How good am I? And I'm just like, oh, Um, but yeah, so I, so I've sold off a bunch. So I sold off my TI 99 4A because I haven't touched it. Um, I actually sold off my C128D, um, which is not a cheap computer to buy or replace, especially the keyboard. But again, I hadn't touched it since I did the videos on it. And if I want to do something 8-bit Commodore, I'll pull out the the bread bin or something like that. Um, I even sold off my Atari 400 because I've got like two other um, better Atari 8-bits. Um and so, yeah, and but what I've done is, especially over the last couple of um, months, is I've started to really kind of hone in on what I want to actually add to the collection. I just had a thought there. Do you feel when it comes to selling things that it's almost it's almost offending it by selling it, and and that's a wrong thing we should be thinking. But you, you, you feel as if, as if if you've got your your Commodore 128D or your TI 99, and you're saying I'm selling it because I don't use it, you're you're almost it feels it feels as if you're insulting it, and that's a, that's a wrong thing to be thinking for us. Well, I, I have that kind of thing. Well, it is especially I suppose especially as someone who does YouTube, right? So you get you've got a certain public face if you get mm. what I mean, mm. right? And yeah. if you turn around and go, go, hey, I sold my TI-99-4A, you know, I'm going to have TI fanboys banging down my door any minute now. Mm. Um, but the other thing is, is look, I was lucky. When I sold the half a dozen machines over the last few months that I sold, I managed to sell them to other collectors 
Um, so I yeah. know they went to good homes. So they didn't go on eBay. They didn't go anything like that. They were only put up on the Australian Vintage Computer Collectors Buy Sell Swap Group, um, and that was it. That's an acronym. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a big acronym. So, yeah, and so what I've done is I've actually now started concentrating on the stuff I like hunting down those holy grail machines, right, which are expensive, okay? So, like, I got my pet. I didn't. It's a machine I never thought I'd ever own. Um, I finally built myself a big box Amiga um, and did a couple of videos on that, and I love that 2000. It just came up beautifully, and there's ridiculous man hours of work, but I love it. Um, I've got another one which is in an upcoming video. Actually, by the time this goes live to YouTube, my f- okay, so it's an Amiga 1000. I'm safe to say that <laughs> <laughs> because that video will go live by the time this one goes live. That's um, the best Amiga. It's I it love looks it. the best. It yeah, does. It, looks, it, it looks, really does. Looks, it looks absolutely wonderful. Unique. It does. It There's doesn't just look like, a, like just a knockoff of a of a random PC at the time. Yeah, I just like no, the storage I, I love for the it. keyboard. That's just the one thing I love about it. It's <laughs> just so good. It is. Yeah. I mean, look, and don't get me wrong, it's not – it's limited, right? There's only certain things you can do with a 1,000 that, you know, you can do more with a 500 or a 2,000 whatever, yeah. but that's not the point. And one actually just – I'm getting a little off topic here, but one of the things that I'm de- I was determined to do with this 1,000 was to keep it – period correct in the sense that I, it had to run Workbench 1.3, right? Yes, I could drop a PyStorm in it and Workbench 3.1 and all that kind of stuff, but no, if it's a 1,000, it has to run 1.3. Dems to rules. But anyway, going back to the collecting side of things, I guess the whole YouTube thing does make it difficult because there is a certain pressure to always have a video on something new, something shiny, Right. And as a small channel that's not sponsored, and I've just got my I've got my amazing little dedicated group of patrons. Um, by the way, you can support this week in uh, retro on Patreon. There's a link in the description. Um, <laughs> oh, nice, thank you. <laughs> got it. You can come back. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> is that like I? Because I so I self fund pretty much all these projects. Right now, I don't have kids, so I've got a certain degree of expendable money but it's still expensive right and so you eventually get to this point of like what am i actually doing with this collection um and so yeah i've actually started selling stuff off to make physical room but also financial room as well to really hone in on what is it that i really really want I would still consider myself to be at the start of my collection. And I say that really, I'm four years in. Um, But, you know, part of that was the event in the middle. So that's sort of skewed. Um, And I've definitely got onto this at the wrong time with regards to prices, you know, and and I'm part of that. You know, I, I fully acknowledge that. I haven't gone to car boot sales and found this stuff on its cheap and gone, oh, yeah, I could start stashing that away. I'm not one of those guys. No, and it doesn't exist now, but I didn't catch up when you could do that. I'm one of the people that have created the increase in prices because I've woken up one day and gone, oh, I know what's missing from my life, being a teenager. What made being a teenager awesome? It was a Commodore Amiga. Let's find one on eBay. That looks expensive. Among other things. 
Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll just go buy it anyway yeah, because it, I'm an I'll, adult and I've yeah. got the money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. So, you know, and that's a whole vicious cycle. So definitely the wrong place, wrong time. And it is nostalgia driven for me. And so because of that, I think I can control my collecting to a degree because what all I'm trying to rebuy, and I think I've said this before, is the things that I had, you know. So which I thought Commodore Amiga 500 Batman pack, that's me. I'm, I'm a teenager again. I'm happy. And then you get watching the YouTube videos and some git does a video about an Acorn Electron and you see it and you go, well, I have one of those. And you know what? Just just seeing that on the screen makes me want one. So you go off on eBay and you buy yourself an Acorn Electron. It's the same reason I've got a Spectrum Plus 3 again. It's all the same. And it just, it just never ends. Do you know what I mean? Neil's, remember one of Neil's like, earliest trash to treasures was the acorn electron right all oh, right yeah. yeah not only was that the video that made me start to think oh maybe i can do this whole youtube thing but i've wanted an electron ever since then like i've had a <laughs> bbc micro right for a few years now right which eats an electron for yeah. lunch i get that i were know you, that were you positive that's that you wanted not the an point electron? Sorry? Oh, Were you positive oh. that you wanted an electron? Well, that's an educated joke right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that, was, that was awesomely terrible. Um, and I finally got one. I finally got one earlier this year. Again, it comes back to that whole what is it, what machines do I actually want in my thing? And I hunted down an electron and I paid through the nose for it because it was local here in Australia. But... I got it, and I don't regret a minute, a cent of it. I don't regret a minute. I love that computer. I don't care that it's, you know, it's uh, crippled compared to the BBC. I can't. I don't care about what it can't do. I love what it can do. Yeah. That yeah. gets you into a vicious cycle, though, because the other side of the hobby that I found is, say, for example, I've got an Electron and I wanted one because that's what I had as a kid and YouTube told me that I needed to own one again, similar to yourself. <laughs> But then you start talking to your mates that are into this hobby as well, and they go, oh, but you must get a BBC. Yeah. And they don't understand that I don't want one. Now, my memories of a BBC are that's school, and I didn't like school, and school is where we use BBCs. That's the only memory tie that I have towards the machine. Therefore, yeah, I hate I, them. Yeah, <laughs> until, you play, until you play Elite on one. Stop it. <laughs> I'm not oh. buying one. I'm not oh. buying one. You want an Archimedes? If you're going to play Elite, buy an Archimedes. Oh, yeah, Archimedes. That's cheap. Oh. That's cheap. And what's that other one? Virus on the cheap, Archimedes. Yeah. yeah, they're good. They suffer yeah, battery yeah. leakage, though, don't they, though, on the on the main board? It kills the keyboard controller, and it's not. you can't get that, so yeah. it, 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 it's it's fatal. You have to be oh. really careful, yeah. So no, I, I don't go around... Get, you'll, you'll, just have to get a, you'll just have to get a BBC Micro, then they're pretty bulletproof. Yeah. I, I do wonder what my hobby will do once I've got, and which is close, really, in terms of machines. I've pretty much got my childhood machines back again. So already I'm, I'm starting to get tempted away by just what I would call distractions. So the CD32, no nostalgia towards it whatsoever, but while I was in the UK, somebody from Neil's Discord offered me one at an excellent price, and it kept me awake for a couple of nights before I finally told myself, you'd be an idiot not to take that because it's recapped. It's a fantastic price. And so now it's back here with me in Australia and I'm, you know, slowly discovering that. And I don't mind that, but I didn't need it. You know what I mean? So you've got, you got to, yeah, well, uh, really control that. Uh, you're, just, so you're discovering it by going, wow, this is a consoleized Amiga 1200 that plays a lot of really awesome A500 games. Pretty uh, much, uh, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> with a terrible you, controller. Uh, you... you, you 
for for the start, I, I know you're saying you want the things that you had. Mm. For me, it's slightly different. I want the things I had, but I also want the things that I read about. So I never had a Spectrum back in the day, but I've got a Spectrum Plus three and delighted to have it because I I read about the Spectrum. It mm. was it was in with the Amstrad that I had, and so on. it was talk about it. Oh, that's a lovely one. Yeah, I watched the videos in that, and I particularly enjoyed watching your latest update on that where you went to our subreddit. I was quite pleased yeah. with that, but although I suspect you knew you were coming on this and you were just looking for brownie points. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, if it's linked to it, so the CD32 would have been what you got if you'd, if you'd stuck with Amiga, if you hadn't gone to, to PC, Chris, mm-hmm. you oh, might have yeah, I get that. So yeah, I can I understand that. why yeah. you would do that. Whereas mm-hmm. you might look at, I, I don't know, a 3DO, for example, and you think, well, I don't want a 3DO because I would never bought one back in the day. I never thought about it. And I've got yeah. no, no connection to it. 100%. At least you've got the connection to the, the CD32. Yeah. 100%. Well, uh, see, I've done that in the past. Like, I actually went crazy. I had a point where I went crazy on consoles, right? Um, and so I and I ended up actually selling off my, my GameCube there was like a GameCube, a PS2, um, a Dreamcast. I do kind of regret selling that, um, and something else because I was just—I'd almost reached that like almost hoarding. Like I don't want to say the H word, but yeah, I've kind of—I kind of went, "What am I doing with these?" So my console collection now, for instance, is Master System. I've just got the basics, right? Master System, NES, Mega Drive, Super Nintendo, Atari Twenty Six Hundred. And funny enough, that's where I am happy to deviate from my collect the things I had because I remember saving for a Master System and then getting distracted randomly by the need for an electric guitar. I couldn't even play guitar, but I spent the money I'd saved for this Master System on electric guitar. Never got the Master System, so I played my mates. And so now it's like, actually, I wouldn't mind if one comes up at a decent price, I would get a Master System. And well, that's sensible. That's reasonable. Yeah, they're and, cheap. And they're like Master System Twos are cheap. Exactly. Yeah, they're I, like I, I one of the, the one, only eight bit like <laughs> consoles that are legitimately still kind of affordable. Yeah, they are. Yeah, but even things like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, they're not expensive because they made millions of them, and they're, yeah. they're fairly bulletproof as well. I mean, unless you want a Woody or yeah. like one of those ones, right? But if you just want a junior to go plug cartridges in, yep. yeah, sure. I have one now. It's over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, stop it. I actually quite like it. It's playing pinball on it. It's fantastic. Well, see, my for, console for a, as a kid was the Master System. Mm. Um, I grew up, and hand on heart, it will always be my favourite console is the Master System. So, of course, now I have three of them. <laughs> um, well, I've got a normal Master System 2, and that's the first one I bought. I went, oh, I've got a Master System again. Oh, I always wanted a Model 1. Yeah. Okay, I'll go buy a Model 1. Nice. And then it popped up on Facebook, which is very cool actually, is a French Model 2. Now, the French one has factory RGB SCART. (gasps) Oh, that's Yeah. Those cunning French. And so I had to grab that um, because what Sega did back in the day was something that a lot of them actually did, right, because – like, because France is one of those one, those one of like a half a dozen countries that uses C camp, right? So they don't use NTSC, they don't use PAL, right? So what a lot of them did is they just went, well, screw it, trying to do an RF modulator, yet another RF modulator, and all that kind of stuff. We'll just give them RGB, um, and so yeah, factory RGB SCART, and it's just glorious. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think where my collecting is a little bit different to somebody like yourself, Jason, as well as um, you, you mentioned, you know, you fix them and then they sit on the shelf. I'm really not interested in buying broken machines because I know 
where my skills lie. So I will, I, you know, I won't hoover up cheap items. I will pay a little bit more for the promise, hopefully, that, that it actually works because I just want to play with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll grab broken stuff at a, if I, like, it's a legitimate bargain, like, thing. Um, and I'll try and fix it up. I mean, as I hate to break the, uh, like, burst some kind of bubble around me because other people have approached me. When it comes to, like, actually fixing stuff, I don't know. Beep. I am literally, I think, I am literally like one Google search ahead of everyone else. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Like, I hate to burst that it's, bubble. I actually don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Yeah, yeah, nice. It's not too, it's not too difficult to fix stuff. Most of the time, you're chasing down a bad memory chip, yeah. or you can see a visible capacitor that's gone. So, most of the time, yeah. it's not too bad. Or you can check for a, a ground and so on. So, it's not that bad. It's, it's. I think people have this. Maybe, maybe one of the people who don't have the mental barrier thinking, "Oh, I can't possibly be doing this." And you, you, one of the people that are quite wisely thinking, "Well, I'll give it a punt. What's the worst that can happen?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even I'll give it a punt. Oh, yeah. Once I get round to it. <laughs> That's that's my problem, procrastination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Dave, where are you with your collection? Well, I had nothing until a few years ago. I started looking to buy a house. I lived in a flat. I, I, I as soon as I realised, yes, I'm definitely buying a house. As soon as I realised that was the case, I realised, oh, I can get some retro stuff because it's always it's always been emulators. I went wild. I I had a room full of stuff before I even got the house. So I bought several CPCs and Spectrums and Atari STs and a few other things. And it's the CPC Speckies and STs I've got multiples of now because I was buying one thinking, maybe I want the STE, maybe I want the ST, or maybe I want the short, the small, the original ST. That's, that'd be nicer with a separate disk drive and so on. And I was, I was buying another one because it came with a disk drive and I wanted the second disk drive. I've got loads of stuff that way. I've gone a bit wild. And I've settled on getting a 6128, a Spectrum Plus 3, and a Mega STE for those three. And I don't need the rest, and I do need to get rid of them. Um, the, I have no business keeping hold of them. I need to, I well, need if to you've sell got them a spare to if you've got a spare toast rack, I can find it at home. Um, I don't have that, um, but we did. We actually touched on hoarding about six months ago in, on, on the podcast. And we, we talked about it over the space of a few episodes. It kept coming back uh, quite often on, on This Week in Retro. We have a topic, and then for some reason it, it comes back the next week. And I, I felt I was verging on hoarding, and I need to do something with it. Um, I finished my big box collection for the most part. I've got nearly everything I want, apart from a few small amount of things that I've got eBay searches saved save for. I'm not going to get much else because you He's can see the shelf behind me, they're full. <laughs> I, I promise I see the shelves behind me full, but I've got shelves all round the, the room. They're full. So if I buy anything else, something else needs to come off the shelf. I don't know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I've, I've finished. I've definitely finished that mostly. But what I need to do is I've got a room through there with um, my my. my, my uh, bench supply, my oscilloscope, my soldering stuff, all the rest of it's there. 
but I can't use it because it's full of stuff I need to sell. So I, I need to I need to clear that. I've been ill this year, so I've not got things done, but I have. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've nearly got a space cleared in the living room. Once I've got the living room table completely clear, I can start bringing all the baskets out, sort the baskets out, take stuff through, make sure it works, clean it up, get it ready so that if someone buys it on eBay, just like you said, they can use it. Um, but prices are down. And that's the hard part is the fact that you kind of go, right, I'm going to sell all this stuff. And then it dawns on you that there's like hours of work yeah. just yeah. to get stuff ready to sell it's because you place. don't, as a collector, you don't want to sell crap. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not going to sell a work a, a work in progress to someone. I'm going to sell something to someone and know that they can plug it in and get some joy from it. Yeah. But I don't I don't actually mind it as long as I've got the space and the time to do it. If if I can put a, if if I'm in living room, I can put a let's play on and watch someone playing through a, a role playing game. As long as they they talk about what they're doing, it's not far away from me doing it myself, and I can. I can have my hands free to go and do stuff while I watch that. That's quite pleasant. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy doing that. I've missed out because I should have sold all this stuff before prices drop, but I, I need so to tell myself it's not important. It's not important. It's not it, it, The important thing is getting into hands of someone else and not hoarding it myself. And in general, I'm happy if prices come down. Chris, has he seen prices drop that we haven't? I don't know. Or is it an Australian thing? I don't know what he's talking about. I think maybe it's an Australian thing. The prices have not dropped over here, man. No. Right. So we're buying all of Dave's collection tomorrow. Yeah. We'll buy buy his stuff cheap and we'll flip it here. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks, Um, Dave. Of course, nothing to send it. (laughs) But I was actually chatting to, because you've had him on the channel, Oz Retrocomp, right? Mm. And he actually hasn't done one for ages and I keep hitting him for it. But. He used to have this series where it was basically the the current mar- the current yes. retro Australian market, right? Mm. But we still chat every now and again about the prices, specifically when things come up that are just stupid, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, as an example, there's a there's an MSX two, which is a lovely machine, right, on eBay at the Australian eBay at the moment, and it's like eight hundred dollars. Buy it now, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, some, but the problem is, is some Muppet will, right? Because they'll go, I don't need them, you know, more money than, you know, the classic more money than cents. Um, you know, and then that's what then keeps pushing the prices up because people go, oh, well, that one sold for $800. Maybe I can get 900 for mine. And it just keeps going and going. It is such a different market over here. And I really enjoyed Tony's series on that as well. And Tony, please, if you're listening, start, start doing some more of those because it was really interesting stuff. Don't think that was boring because it wasn't. It was so well researched and so well done. Um, yeah. But, but just. And to- just a quick side note it's a hmm. lot of foreigners found that really interesting yeah, as well. Yeah. And but but Dave, just to tie that in with, you know, you quipped very quickly in there, I'm sure postage is free, which of course it isn't. But you you'd be surprised. There are people that literally I know a guy here in Perth, he's a he's a wonderful guy and you know, I don't I don't um you know, dislike him for doing this, but he's spending his time buying predominantly Amiga twelve hundreds in the UK, paying the shipping, which he's happy to do and he recaps them, so it's not like it's money for jam. He recaps them and then selling them on the Perth market. And it's not big money, and it's not even a main earner. You know, he's doing it. He's got a proper job, but this is what he does as a hobby. But he's getting good prices for them because Fair there enough. is market in it. You know, there is, yeah. there is a market yeah. for it. But here. you'll pay twelve, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500 for a sorted 1200 Yeah. 
I don't know what it's like in the UK at the moment, right? So basically halve that, I guess. But would you pay six, seven hundred pounds? No. No, you, it, yeah. it, it's it's not that much. I, I don't look at the prices of Amiga twelve hundred because I've, I've no real inclination to buy one. Yeah, but they're not as much as that yet. But it's um, not even just the the big brand stuff as well. You go looking for some of the like the genuine Australian stuff or the the stuff we claim as ours, right? So fair dinkum, fair dinkum. Um, so micro B prices through the roof, right? Anything with a Dick Smith badge on it. Um, you know, you'll pay for it, right? You'll pay, you'll pay big for. <laughs> <laughs> when we talked about doing this, I said to Jason, mention Dick Smith, but let's not laugh about it. Viewers can have their own laughs in the background about us saying Dick lots of times. Let's not yeah. laugh. You managed, you, you managed to mention it once, once. and then bust. Just yeah. lost it. Yeah. Just lost it. <laughs> Oh dear, but you like on dead serious stuff like Dick Smith System eighty. You'll mm. pay big money, right? And it makes the collecting hard. And it's actually one of the reasons why I've really started to narrow in on the stuff I really want, because the stuff I really want is stuff that's going to cost me big money. So one of the things that I collect for, I think, is a little bit different. So, Chris, you mentioned that. You know, you do it for the whole nostalgia thing and like your Amiga that you had back in the day and all the rest of it. Dave, you mentioned that you kind of, yes, you did go a bit crazy, but there's only real certain machines that that you re- really, really want in the collection. For me, I guess I think it's a little bit different because my computing background when I was a kid was actually really freaking boring. So we had the family computer initially was a TRS-80, Love them. Yawn-inducing, right? I think, you know, there are some good games, but, yeah, you get my point. We then had a 286, which did have EGA, right? And that got me into Sierra games. Then later on we had a 486, but by the time we got that, I was more interested in cars and girls and drinking and stuff like that. Um, And so there's this massive, massive kind of catalogue of computers and gaming and stuff that, just completely went past me um and it look and it is youtube that um uh kind of makes me aware of all this stuff right and i want to learn about it you know i want to get my hands on these computers that i'd never even heard of when i was a kid um so yeah i think that's the other side of my collecting as well Beauty is in the eye of the beer holder, Mr. Lurch. <laughs> yeah, I actually found this one and posted it up on Reddit because I thought it was interesting. Well, have you played it? No. <laughs> worse than Chris. Oh, look, I've, Chris, I've Chris, wouldn't, look, look. Chris wouldn't submit a game he hasn't played. He's not played it. <laughs> no, he wouldn't submit a game he's played. You're worse than Chris. <laughs> yeah, well. Hang my head, my bald head in shame. It's not just um, me. I'll look, but I'm not oblivious to the fact that Eye of the Beholder is a classic game, and I know yeah. lots of people love it, and I know it's a staple, especially in that 16-bit Atari ST Amiga kind of era, 
right? So I know how important it was. And when I saw that it had been released on the Commodore, like someone had done a Commodore 64 port, I went, yeah. people are going to want to know about that. Yeah. Okay. I forgive you. Actually, I'm delighted you mentioned it because I, I love it. So, and this segment will be my love, partly my love letter to Eye of the Holder. It's such an important game for me after Dungeon Master. A huge driver in my Switch to a PC in 1992 was to access adventure and strategy games, but most of all, role-playing games. I played The Bard's Tale on my Amstrad CPC and then Dungeon Master, Captive, and Ultima 4, 5, and 6. And 6 was bad because of all the disc swapping on my Atari ST, but the PC was where it was all happening. There were loads of RPGs that I knew about but couldn't play, and not just on the PC, actually on the, the Apple II and, and, and other formats in America where RPGs, RPGs were more popular in America than they were in, in the UK, at least initially. Uh, but I heard them in a, a magazine called Dragon Magazine. Now, it's an RPG, not a computer RPG, proper RPG. It's an RPG magazine. It's the official Dungeons & Dragons magazine starting back in 1976 from the people that make Dungeons & Dragons. And it's a column that would appear in that magazine regularly from 1986 to 1993 was called The Role of Computers. Now, this column um, was massively important to me as a kid. It had none of the British magazine snarks, so it wasn't too cool for school. It wasn't looking down its nose at non-arcade games. It was a treasure trove of information in games, many of which I had no access to. Lots of the old stuff, all the old school stuff like wizardry, etc., didn't get ports to British micros. And it's around that time that I gave up trying to do proper role-playing games, and computer role-playing games filled that space. Um, I read about Dungeon Master in this magazine before I played it on a friend's Atari ST, and I got the, the Atari ST for Christmas that year. I read about uh, about attempts to get proper D&D into games, such as the gold box games you can see on the, the shelves behind me um, from SSI. But the first time I think that they really did get Dungeons & Dragons into a game that really caught on and went mass market was Eye of the Beholder. And in fact, I'd actually seen the artwork that you can see on the front of this, the wonderful artwork you can see of the skeleton bursting through a door with his axe. Um, I'd seen that on the front cover of Dragon Magazine in 1988. So three years before the game came out, it, would, it was used elsewhere. And they, they, they quite often did that for, uh, for role-playing games. They reused artwork and produced for something else rather than commission it for the game. Um, more than previous D&D games, I, the Beholder, wound itself into the existing lore from the Forgotten Realms campaign, which was the, the, the very popular uh, campaign at the time. It was Kelvin Blackstaff himself that sent you to explore the sewers under the city of Waterdeep. Creating a party of four, you would explore through the sewers, break through into dwarven, uh, abandoned dwarven tunnels that the dwarves had just rediscovered, bump into Kenku, and then meet the drow and other underdark monsters before finally meeting mind flayers. And finally, well, I'd say I wouldn't spoil it, but there's a big clue in the name of the game, what you'll find at the end of it. Um, the game tried and succeeded into packing as much traditional Dungeons and & Dragons and Forgotten Realms into a game as possible. For me, it was 
amazing. It was one of the first games I got on the PC. I got the PC in 1992, so I got this maybe six months, nine months after it was released. I loved it. I'd craved playing games like this for years. And unlike the previous D&D games, this one had cutscenes. It had, for what it's time, and I still think um, that the pixel art in it is fantastic, it had a beautiful intro with haunting music. And those are hallmarks of the developers of the game, Westwood Studios. Um, their pixel art in DOS and Amiga games of that period is tremendous. I, I did try to speak to someone that, that, that is from Westwood, but I didn't manage to get hold of them. I suspect they were using Amiga's uh, Deluxe Paint to create the art for the games on the on, on the DOS games. I don't know that for a fact, but I would be surprised if they weren't. Um, it's great. It's still one of my favourite games. Jason, I know you're into various different fandoms. Are you into any D&D or RPGs? I'm... Honestly, I'm not. I'm sorry. Fair enough. I'm sorry. Fair enough. I just, Fair enough. You're only one it's man. Some, it, it's some, it, uh, D&D and the whole role-playing, warhammery kind of thing is just something mm-hmm. that's just, it's just, it's something completely passed me by. It's just none of my friends were into it. Um, I don't know. It's just something, I, I, but I understand why people are so into it. I do completely get it. Um but no, and it's the same reason why I don't really play any of the modern massive online, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've literally lost friends to WoW, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's and it's just simply something that, especially these days, I just don't have the time to dedicate it. Like, yeah, I'm, but I'm pretty sure if I did, then, you know, I'd be, it'd be me in a tent, two-minute noodles in the middle of the bush because I'd lost everything else. <laughs> Neil, Neil and I touched on that. Um, Neil and I both yeah. feel that if we let ourselves play an online game like that, it would be the end of us. It would, yeah. it would consume everything. Uh, I, I can't let myself do it. It would do that, yeah. No, that's exactly right. So, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the reason why we're talking about it today is a project that I've had my eye on for a long time. And thank you for submitting this to the subreddit, Jason. It's, did you submit it because you knew you were coming on? Or was it just... No, I had... Um, okay, so I, I'm i actually not a huge Reddit user. Put it this way. Yeah. I, when you sent me the link to the This Week in Retro subreddit, I had to go and reset my password because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, it wasn't just me. <laughs> no. Um, and so I started actually reading through the news that had been posted. And at the same time time so i was flipping through like i had facebook open another tab and i was flipping through that and it was posted up like just posted up on the facebook one of this one of the numerous c64 groups on facebook i just went okay that's cool let me go check the subreddit okay no one's posted this yet it's it's a great project it's a real labor of love it's taking a game that was made for the pc and the amiga and putting it onto a humble Commodore 64. It's a real, real big achievement. And not only have they managed to get the game functional on a C64, not only they got it functional on the C64 and actually looking great and sounding great, and as good as play to good to play as the PC, they've also significantly enhanced it. Now, I'm told everything is present from the original PC version of this. I've watched some videos, I've seen it streamed, and it looks absolutely spot on to me. The graphics aren't quite what you would see on PC and VGA. Of course, they can't 
BPC VGA graphics uh, on, on a Commodore 64, but it actually looks good. And I bet if you saw this on um, uh, a CRT, you would get a little bit of enhancement from that that would look good. In fact, I've got his permission. Duncan hopefully can put, if you're watching the video version, you can see uh, you can see a video of someone's actual CRT playing this. I think it looks great. Can I just actually point out, you mentioned about CRTs. Mm-hmm. I'm not a, like a massive like C64 fanboy. Mm-hmm. Give me a bread bin, 1541 and a 1701, and I swear it is one of the most beautiful looking computers ever yes. made. Yeah, yeah. Have so, you seen yeah. the, you've seen what I got recently? You might not have seen it. I, I I have a bread bin. I have a 1541 and I have a 1701, and I got dust covers for them. And I've said before on on this, the dust. The, 15-year-old me would be spitting in my face if I said, I like my dust covers, but I love my dust covers. They look <laughs> wonderful. It's from a place so ready. It's a, a lady, a Maggie, that makes them. They're absolutely great. Maybe you see them on a, Twitter, in fact. Or have you got it as well? It's better than a doily. That's for you my PAS3. Well, yeah. I've got a, one for my PAS3, and I've got one for my A2, A500. Yeah. But see, if you want to ear correct, it's got to be a doily. You need to put a doily over it. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Maybe I'll get a doily for my GX4000. But yeah, I I, I think they're great. Sorry, uh, a bit of a a digression there. Um, The C64 version has all the gameplay. There is um, a a mode you can put, a 2 megahertz mode, uh, which makes it a bit smoother, but it's perfectly playable in 1 megahertz. But they've also added in an auto map. Now, the original didn't have an auto map, and I think these days you can really benefit from the auto map. Um, there was no map mapping at all present in the original one, so you had to get the graph paper out. And also a bestiary, which takes you right back. If you know anything about, about Dungeons and Dragons, you'll know you had the monster manuals. And that's what they've added. They've added a monster manual to it. It also supports a mouse in the Commodore 64. Uh, and an incredible feature if you're using a C128, so you'll be glad you sold yours, uh, is you can use dual monitors. So you can have the game window in one monitor and you can have the auto map in the other, which is amazing. So I think it's nothing short of phenomenal that they've done this on a C64. That's cool. It's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm reminded of the, the Amstrad CPC port of Pinball Dreams, which is... An incredible thing. It's almost as good as playing it on the, the Amiga or PC, the, the Amiga's original. Uh, it runs so smooth on an, on an Amstrad CPC, which you wouldn't expect. Now, Chris, you're a, an Amiga and a Specky fan. What do you think of this? And do you think there's any Amiga games that deserve a Specky port? Well, look, firstly, Dave, you've avoided the question that you would normally ask just to set me up, which is, have you played this game? And I'm disappointed because I have, in fact, played Eye of the Beholder. Um, and it was at my mate Lee's house on his Amiga um, because it was at his house because I actually wasn't allowed Dungeons and Dragons stuff. I, I think we've touched on this before growing up. So Satanic panic. Satanic panic. Oh. Um, so, which is, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole Evil. other story. But, yeah, it's a game, and it, it's the game that sort of led me down the path of, hey, dungeon crawlers are cool, and then into what you know what became my love of Captive, which I was allowed because that's just science fiction. Um, so it was really cool. Um, and I, I actually saw a, a copy come up locally, here, not here in Perth. It's about four hours south, and the annoying thing is I didn't spot it. I'd actually been down to this area for a holiday with some friends. I didn't spot the listing until I'd come back up to Perth. So I completely missed it, and then somebody else grabbed it. And it, and it was cheap as well. It was about $50, but anyway. 
Um, it's on my hit list. But the C64 port that you're looking at, I had a quick look um, just at, get, at the video. David minute here. He's just showing off. Yeah, yeah. He is holding up yeah. all his boxes. Pretty much every Dungeons & Dragons box going, Dave's holding up now. So. But anyway. Not just pretty much, but all of them. These all are all things from the box. Eye Beholder thing. This is the map that came in the game. Ah, uh, I do like a good uh, map. And that was a clue book and the guidebook to it as well. I do like a That's good map. That's all Dave does now. He just sits in the background just going, look at my box. Nice. Nice. My big box. Somebody post a story on the <laughs> subreddit about Frontier because I can go mental about all the stuff that comes in the box with Frontier. But anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, this C64 port, because obviously I knew you were going to cover the story, Dave, and I had a quick look at the YouTube footage. And I found myself a bit confused because I, I was double checking and going, am, "Am I looking at the C sixty four port or am I looking at the Amiga port?" Like seriously, it's it's that good. It's it's so well done. But coming back to your question, you know, Amiga games ported to the Spectrum. The problem I have with that question is so many were um, like Lotus, the, the the Lotus, some of the Lotus games they were ported. Batman the movie, okay, it's slightly different, but it was ported. F-16 Combat Pilot, one of my favourite flight sims, that was ported to the Spectrum. Carrier Command, as we've discussed before, even that was on the Spectrum. So if I had to pick one, and I had to double-check that it hasn't been done, but I think Alien Breed, and I think that's doable as well. That was a nice top-down shooter, yeah. Alien Breed. Well, it's just a simple yeah. top-down shooter. Yeah. I mean, that'd work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, look, let's be honest, some of those ports that you've mentioned are... They're not great. No, they're um, yeah, some are not yeah. good. Yeah, no, they're not. Um, which is actually interesting. One of the machines I was poking at recently was a MSX. I picked up an MSX a little while ago, um, and you'll well, you'll see this in the video. But one of the comments I make is how many Western games ported to MSX are just really lazy mm. ZX yeah. Spectrum ports. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah, and the MSX can't play a Spectrum game as fast as a Spectrum can do it. So not only do you have a better machine playing yeah. a, a poor port, but it's playing a poor port badly. Mm. Yeah, it's just terrible. But um, but your your thing about Alien Breed, that would actually be doable because when you think about it, yeah, um, it's just a it's a top down kind of corridor crawler, I guess you could call it. Right, mm-hmm. you could easily do away with a lot of the detail bits on the floors and all the rest of it. Yeah. Right? Well, the, the Spectrum can do high can do a reasonably high resolution. If you, if you drop the, the number of colours it's got, you can get quite detailed on it. Well, true. That would be ideal for it. See, Gauntlet on the Spectrum was very playable, and that's exactly what they did. Basically, the background yeah. is just yeah. black, but the gameplay and all the elements are there. And let's yeah. face it, Alien really, Breed... what is Alien Breed? Alien Breed is just Gauntlet with an alien skin. In space. <laughs> yeah. It's Gauntlet in space. Yes, it is. Yeah. 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 It's a very good gauntlet in space, but it's gauntlet yeah. in space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to get yeah. some comments on that. Um, <laughs> that would work. I like that idea. Mm. Yeah. Someone I out there the- who's a ZX Spectrum developer, like a little mm-hmm. get onto that, can you? We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> Hoffman, do that. Um, yeah. Hoffman's been making some wonderful Spectrum music recently. It's amazing what he's done. And not EY music, just normal beeper music oh, Spectrum. Wow. Incredible, wow. mind blows, mind blowing what it does. The, the problem I had with Spectrum is they try to port games that didn't run very well in it. For me, the best Spectrum games, and there's loads of amazing Spectrum games, are the ones that came from the Spectrum, mm-hmm. the yep. ones that were developed for the Spectrum. It does fantastic things. That, things like Laser Squad and Rebel Star and so on were made on the Spectrum. And there's other versions of them, but there's no, the Spectrum version is just as good. Mm. Yeah. Um, you so, can always tell a game that, say, started on the Spectrum, right? Yeah. 
then yeah. got ported to the Amstrad compared to something that started on the Amstrad and then they kind of yeah. tried to just strip bits out of it until it sort yeah. of worked on the spectrum. This isn't the only way to play Eye the Beholder with a map. An older project than this, I'm sure I've mentioned before, because I think it's amazing, is the All-Seeing Eye, which is a bolt-on for DOSBox for Eye of the Holder 1 and 2. So what it does is it, it, it reads memory, it sees the DOSBox program, and it puts the map and it auto-maps on the side of it, and it does a few other things as well. Um, you can get this, uh, you can download it and add it to the, the GOG version, or you can actually now buy, if you buy the Forgotten Realms archives on Steam, it comes with the all-seeing eye and, in fact, Goldbox Companion and the Goldbox games uh, built in, uh, so you can just go it. So I'd recommend either way of playing the old game, either on your Commodore 64 um, emulated or Mr. or whatever, or a C6, C128 if you're one of the lucky few that have it and they haven't sold it, um, or um, or either beholder on DOSBox with the all-seeing eye. Unless you really want to get the graph paper out, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just time-consuming these days. Who's got the time? But the automap is amazing. You can get the game at EOTB64, so either beholder, EOB, EOTB64.com. On to our question of the week, which I asked, which retro hardware or game would you rescue from Room 101? Can I just ask a really honest question? Yeah. What's Room 101? I got no idea. <laughs> well, Is it a pommy I, thing? I'm assuming it's a pommy thing. You're not the only one that asked it. Don't go, call Dave. me a pommy. Go, Dave. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I you. would... I. I, I would um, I, I'd like to apologise because I thought everyone would know what it was. Room 101 was a horrible room in the novel 1984 and it turned into a bit of a trope. Room 101 was a TV show where you would have people come on and argue that they wanted the, something they hated in modern life that they wanted to put into Room 101. So my idea for this question of the week is if you go to Retro Computing Room 101, it'll be filled with all the sorts of things that everybody talks about how much they hate. And I wanted people to give me an example of what they would take, what they would rescue from Room 101, what they felt either was unjustified or perhaps they said, look, I know this is rubbish, but I still love it. I want it out of there. So that that was the, the question behind it. It's a piece of tech or hardware that's generally looked on as a bit of a dud, but you love so much that you think is great. So that's what I asked. Gotcha. And... <laughs> Chris, do you want to give us the first answer? I'm going for the first one. I might. Yep. Hang on a sec. Yep. I literally just had it up on my screen. Where is it? Oh, I do like this one. This is from Richard Shears. Is that the right one? Yes, it is. Um, so for my answer, so this is Richard now. For my answer to this week's uh, in Room 101, I have thought long and hard. My mind was sidetracked with near, uh, with talk of Neil throwing down the gauntlet to hair trimming and a mention of hairy balls on the ball table. Oh, <laughs> I might have missed that. <laughs> Some people missed that comment, but anyway, moving on. I believe the answer should be the console that was where I learned to fly uh, and that also showed that lacking hair up top was indeed the way forward, particularly if you have a green tinge. Yes, the often maligned Atari Jaguar. Oh, this gives me an excuse oh. to hold up mine because that would be one of my picks, but I'll get more specific in a minute about that. But an Atari Jaguar, totally with you there. It was amazing hardware, just limited by Atari's inability to provide sixty-four bits. Proper, do the math, Dave. Do the math. 
Um, Smarts. So, <laughs> Atari's inability to provide proper development support due to the uh, dwindling stash of coins and developers taking the easy option of just using the 68,000 and not actually taking advantage of the 128 nibbles of power. Um, one of my standout, one of the, my standout favorite games, and this is true of me as well, Rich, were of all time was Alien versus Predator, which really showed what the console was capable of. We just won't mention Club Drive and definitely not the game that featured Dave's cousin, Kasami Ninja. Um, he's got a link of, of, of the picture there. Um, I'm totally with Rich on that. My, my submission for Room 101, so I'll, I'll throw it here because it fits in, is actually the Atari Jaguar's controller. I totally got this. Jackpot. Coming Coming from playing games on the Amiga, which is not a one-button system, because you've got an entire keyboard and so many games used most of them, this was better than most console controllers for me because of the nine-button um, D-pad at the bottom. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yep. The SCE yeah. can use that controller. I don't think any games ever took advantage of it, but the ports are on the side of it. I love it. And the whole changeable Walking overlays is fantastic. And like a- AVP had three of them because you had three different playable characters. Brilliant. Oh. Brilliant. The, um, the, the Jag pad is usual on the STE, but there's actually... The STE power pad mm. was, I think, the original before the Jag oh. pad came out, and it's it's a kind of blue and silver one. They're incredibly expensive, incredibly rare, incredibly useless. Um, I, I know a few games can do it, but most of them can't. Um, Just had to shove in Cybermorph. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Chris. Anyway. Chris showing off his jag. Jag. Dave's jag. got a jag. Jag. Does Dave do. have an Atari I, I jag. jag? No, I've oh. got an Atari and I've got a Jag. Close <laughs> oh, enough. Yeah, you've got it. All right, moving yeah. on then. No, What's Jason, the next one? Jason. All right, I'm actually going to... Would you like to read um, the next one? Yeah, I will. Um, and I'm actually going to jump on Tony's um, that he posted up in the subreddit. And it's the, tele, the telecom computer phone. Uh, the Australian version of the ICL one per desk, aka, aka Tonto Merlin. Never heard of either Tonto of those. Tonto Merlin. Um, <laughs> you can tell us Australian. Tonto Merlin. Tonto Merlin. It sounds American. It's kind of like off you no, go. It Tonto. Tonto off to Merlin. Anyway, um, uh, it was marketed by Australia's National Telco Telecom Australia, now known as Telstra. It was an unmitigated disaster, much like the Sinclair QL upon which it was based. For years, there was a rumour going around that Telstra still had a warehouse full of unsold computer phones that they never got rid of. I'm hopeful one day they'll start appearing on eBay in the same way that the Tano Dragon 64 did and the Naboo currently is. So there you go, the Telstra computer phone. And according to this had some relationship with the Sinclair QL. Oh. Not that that's necessarily so what, why, a good thing. Why does Tony, why does Tony want to get out of room 101? What's good about it? I don't know, because he's not really giving it many props there. <laughs> does <laughs> he basically be, said it was a disaster. Does there have but to I'm be something knowing good Tony, about it? it'll be purely about No, it just, there has to be a reason. You, why, why, do, why does he want to do it? Yeah, true. I don't know, but you, knowing you're Tony, rescuing be something from pure, it. it'll be just be pure curiosity. Fair enough, fair, fair enough, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, the second answer is from Fiskit, mm. and he says the Sinclair C5. The Sinclair C5 is a car. Um, it didn't make a great deal of sense in 1985, but now with cycle lanes, mm-hmm. improvements in battery technology, and the fact that I can't have a car, it makes much more sense. I've thought that for a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. now um, found its time. It shows how far ahead of the time it was. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, tricky 
VFR 800 has a third answer, and he says, from a UK perspective, I think the MSX deserved better. I've actually touched on that already. From looking at the Japanese cartridge releases, it was a very capable machine that didn't really seem to get its due here. The slew of low-effort spectrum conversions condemned it to the role of a quirky, quirky, slightly too expensive machine that nobody owned, which didn't do the system justice. And it's, it's a bit of a, a chicken and egg thing. You had them making games for the Spectrum Amstrad C64, and it wasn't worth a while making making it for the MSX, but they thought, well, we may as well just shift the code across a weekend conversion and sell it, and that's why nobody bought them because of that. So unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and um, I do thank actually you. have to, I do have to actually apologise to Fisket um, because I was reading the subreddit and I didn't have it sorted by we've all done <laughs> high straight we've all Sorry. done it trust me uh, we've all done yes it. Um, i do like that username fisket it's it sounds yeah. like something we we could use and not get bleeped by duncan later fisket. <laughs> um, oh fisket fsck is a, a linux command there might be a unit yeah i know I, yeah no, I, re- so- I realize that but i still like it um thank you very much for submitting your answers and this week uh we'll set a new question to you and let's go to jason what's the question so the community question for episode 102 will be what stage of collecting are you at uh are you like me and you're starting to thin the herd a little and concentrate on things or are you still in the rah must buy everything stage let us know uh in the comments in the subreddit I actually have something that I would rescue from Room 101. Oh, yeah, go for it. Can I tell you about that? Go ahead. This here is the Laser 310, also known as the Dick Smith VZ300. This is not a great computer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, It uses that really old TMS graphics card that, like, the ColecoVision and stuff used... Um, Standard, it had 8K of memory. Uh, It does have composite out. I will give it that. This is not a good computer, but I love it. I did a video on this, and the amount of people that came out of the woodwork going, it's like the Australian Specky, right? You know, whenever you you hear about the Specky, all the comments are always like, oh, I cut my teeth on that, and I played all these games on it, yada, yada, yada. I had so many Australians come out and kind of go, that's, you know, that's where I start, because... Like, Dick sold heaps of these, um, and they were all over Australia. I mean, because, well, Dick Smith was all over Australia. But, yeah, the amount of people that came out of the woodwork and went, you know, I started on um, on this. This was my first computer. Um, and, yeah, and so Dick did really well out of this. Um, and so this would be the computer that I would rescue from Room 101. Fantastic. Fair enough. As we sign off, Dave, what's your submission for Room 101? GX4000, the Amstrad GX4000. Um, it was an absolute flop. It came out far, far too late. The, the idea of doing an Amstrad CPC with upgrades that took a cartridge because they saw that the, the Nintendo and Sega were doing really well because they had cartridges and no piracy came out too late. But it's good now because loads of people have converted CPC games. I say converted, they've just made tiny modifications so you don't need to use the space bar or 1 or P to start a game, whatever. So you can control all the joypad. You get a GX4000, you can play 
almost the whole library on it now on it, on the Amstrad library. Fantastic mm-hmm. little thing to get now. I'll ask Duncan to put the picture up, which has actually the dust covers we're talking about on it as well, because it's right in the middle of all the dust covers. It's the one that nice. looks like a spaceship, isn't it? I know the one. But yeah. it was really yeah. strange because didn't like didn't Commodore try and do that like twelve months before and failed. Yeah, I'm trying to be and trying then, to do it for a while, but yeah, yeah uh, everyone and, tried. Everyone, and then Alan, then, then good old Alan, kind of went, you know, oh, I can do better than that. <laughs> Just make yeah, it look like a spaceship. They didn't, didn't. <laughs> yeah, what they didn't really realise is that Sega, Nintendo, and so on were making money from the cartridges, mm. so yeah. that's why it was cheap. And yeah, they just did, didn't have the didn't have the the finances to go and do it. They did it too late, too little, too late, and it yeah. failed. And that was pretty much the end of the Amstrad. I mean, it line. was, it, but it was going up against the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo. It yeah. wasn't even going up against the NES and the Master System. No, yeah, that's true. No, like that's no. Yeah. Sorry, too late. Too little. Yeah, yeah, that that horse. Sorry, mate. That horse bolted. Yeah. This has been great, Jason, so, having you on. As you guys can tell, we could right. talk forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We do need to cut it. Uh, yeah. Um, um, I, I, if if you're listening to this at the end and you thought this was far too long, or you thought I liked a longer episode, let us know. Yeah. Give yeah. us some guidance. Should we try and keep to the the one hour? Where I think for for Duncan's sanity, try and keep <laughs> to an hour because he's got to edit this. But there yeah. you go. Um, thank you very much for coming on. That's uh, all right, and we will see you next week folks with another guest not from australia this guest has hair oh that's not allowed Ooh. bye <laughs>